I want to share some thoughts this morning about uh, prayer under grace as opposed to prayer under law and, um, and just talk about that for a while. Um, just so, so much can be said about prayer, but I just want to hit on some, some points that I think will encourage us. And how you guys feeling this morning? Cool. Prayer under law versus prayer under grace. Is there a difference? Yes, huge, major difference. So much so that there are prayers in the old covenant that you can read in the Bible that some of the wording in those prayers are no longer applicable for the believer in Christ. And if you don't see that difference between prayer under grace and prayer under law, you can pray yourself right back on earth from the heavens. You can pray yourself right back into the flesh under sin, under law and in sin. You can pray yourself right back into the place we were before Christ did all that he did. A good example of that is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David after he, after he blew it with Bathsheba and he is groaning about you know, his predicament. And he said in that Psalm 51, God, blot out my sin, blot out my transgression and created me a, a new heart, created me a willing spirit. Sacrifices of bulls and goats you don't want. Remove my sin from me. You know, you don't want these sacrifices of bulls and goats just to cover my sin. Remove my sin. Take it away. Create a new heart in me. Uh, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because in those days, there, were, there was no regeneration before Christ came. The Spirit would come and lift and come on the prophets and the kings and lift. But there was no regeneration. There was no union that was possible until the sacrifice was made on earth. Regeneration was not possible, which is why all those saints died and descended to Sheol, into Abraham's bosom, awaiting the Christ who would descend on the day he died, taking the thief with him. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Today you shall be with me in the Abraham's bosom. Another word for Abraham's bosom, to release all those saints. And Hebrews 11 says that they had, did not receive what was promised. They did not that they would not be perfect without us. They descended unregenerated yet counted righteous because of their faith. And when the work was accomplished on earth, then Christ could descend and take captivity captive and release them. But, but back to that Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is, a, is a, the, the prayer is, is uh, asking for forgiveness, it's asking for cleansing, it's asking for to be born again, it's asking for all these things that we have now in Christ. And a lot of, a lot of times you'll hear teachers will tell a believer, you know, when you sin, uh, the way to take care of that sin is, you know, Psalm 51 is a good way to go and ask God to blot out that sin, ask God to create a new heart in you, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, by praying an old covenant prayer like that, you actually are, you're, you're working against what the Holy Spirit's trying to say. The Spirit has come to give us the truth. The Spirit has come to show us the things that are freely given to us in Christ. The things that are freely given to us in Christ. And one of the awesome things that God has done, as we know, is that He has removed our sin from us. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto Himself, not counting our sins against us anymore. The New Covenant language is clear. I'll remember your sins no more. I'll be merciful to all your 
iniquities. All. That's awesome. So one of the huge differences between prayer under law and prayer under grace is that prayer under law, we were still in the flesh, still in our sins. God who is holy was outside of us. And we were in this covenant relationship with God that, uh, that required daily cleansing, forgiveness through the system of the priesthood, the temple, and the sacrifices. So th- through the temple, the priesthood, and sacrifices under that old covenant, God instituted a, a way to cover sin so he could dwell in their midst, so he could be behind that veil and help them and bless them and be with them because all of that was a shadow of the good thing to come, which was Christ himself who would be the fulfillment of the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood, all things having been accomplished when he came. But while we were in that, or while they were in that situation, they had to ask for forgiveness, for cleansing. They had to bring sacrifices to the temple. They had to have certain sacrifices for certain sins. And all that was necessary. And if they forgot to do some of that stuff, they had one big day a year, the Day of Atonement, where they just covered everything. In fact, the scripture says those that they didn't even know they did that was sin was taken care of on the Day of Atonement. That's, that's all in Hebrews. That's all in the Old Testament. But that was a big part of prayer, was asking God to forgive our sins. We have sinned against you. Forgive us, O God. God. Cleanse us, O God. Forgive us, O God. That you do not see in the new covenant. You do not see the apostles teaching the believers to to beg God to forgive them and ask God to forgive them and cleanse them. It's, It's a completely different world. And this is what's so awesome about prayer under grace. Prayer under grace is, um, it's just, it's just, you know, the word prayer has been so overworked. But think about what prayer is. You know, immediately the definitions come to mind. You know, it's communion with God, God talking to us, us talking to God. But go beyond the definitions and just think for a minute. God's heart, God's heart is this. And he said it several times and he did it. He made it possible. But God's heart is that he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. Not just in heaven when we die. That, yes, for all eternity. But God's heart is that he wants to be with us. It's his heart. That's where prayer begins. That's where the understanding of prayer begins. It's his heart that he wants to be with us. He told the thief on the cross, he simply said, remember me, Lord. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, this day you shall be with me in paradise. In John, the gospel of John, he prayed and he said, how did he say it? He said, um, In my Father's house are many, we say mansions in some translations, but it's many dwelling places. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And we know from John, the first part of the Gospel of John, that Jesus said he was the house of God. When he said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days, they did not know that he spoke about his own body, his own person being the house of God. The temple, just a picture of of him. And he says, in my father's house, which he's talking about himself, in in me, there are many dwelling places. There are many places to live and dwell in. 
He goes, I go to prepare a place for you in that house that where I am, you may be also. That's his heart, to be where we are. That's his heart. And what's so awesome about prayer under grace is that there is no barrier now between us and him. That's why that verse at the bottom of your program in Hebrews, I love that verse, it says, therefore let us go boldly or with confidence to a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace, to find help. Actually it says to obtain mercy or receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How good is that? I mean, whatever the issue, whatever the problem, do we need help? Yes. Then we can go not timidly, not fearfully, but boldly, confidently to what? A throne of judgment, of lightning blast and fear that Moses saw. He quaked. No, we've not come to that mountain. Hebrew says, different covenant, new work, awesome work. We go confidently to a throne of grace where we receive there not inspection and judgment and criticism. We receive mercy there and we find grace to help in time of need. Awesome. There is an opening. There's an opening to this other world. This, this other world that he has brought to us. Jesus said, the Spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to, to open the eyes of the blind. There's something new that has come. There's something new that they don't see. I've been sent by the Spirit to open the eyes of the blind. Something new is coming. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. The kingdom of heaven, another world is coming. Change your mind about everything. Forget everything you've learned before. Consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing, the Lord says. Open the eyes of the blind. Open the eyes of the blind. Mend the broken hearts. Release the captives from the prison. Announce the year and the time of, a, of the favor of God. Really what he's saying is announce a new world is coming that is filled with grace and favor from God. Amen. With no barriers between man and God. So is prayer under grace different from prayer under law? You bet it is. You bet it is. I mean, you boldly go into his presence now. But better than that, better than that, the presence is within you now. It's even better than that. I mean, it's union, union with God in Christ cannot be overstated. It cannot, it cannot. It must be on our lips almost every day in thanksgiving, God. Thank you, I'm in union with you, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. Paul says, I know this mystery is great, but just as a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife and the two become one, so is Christ and the church. Do you realize we're not waiting to get married to Christ? There's a lot of teaching out there that says, you know, Christ is coming back for his bride and we're gonna get married in heaven. No, we're not just engaged to him. If we are engaged to him, then what's he doing in union with me? What's he doing in union with his bride? He doesn't get in union with his bride until they're married, right? Hopefully not. You notice in the book of Revelation, there's not a single scene of a wedding in the book of Revelation. There's no wedding in Revelation. 
There's a wedding feast. There's a reception. We've been waiting a long time for this reception. And it's going to be an awesome reception, but it's a marriage feast. It's a reception. It's a celebration. The scripture says in Revelation, behold, I show you the lamb's wife. I show you, her, I show you his wife coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God. The moment you said yes to him, that was his proposal to you. When you said yes to him, you were married. He gave you the ring and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The two became one. He our head, we his body. He the vine, we the branches, one. It's a reality that is so awesome. It changes prayer. First we see his heart that he wants to be with us. The scripture says that that he cherishes and nourishes his bride. I love that in Ephesians. Ephesians, Paul, Paul says, Christ sees no spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing in his bride. Why? Because he doesn't look at the flesh. He looks at the spirit, the spiritual reality of the new creation doesn't look at the flesh. We know no man after the flesh anymore, but only after the spirit, even, even Christ himself knows us only after the spirit. And I wanna share just a few thoughts about the life of Jacob that I think unlocks some keys about prayer that, is, that are mind-blowing, that will help all of us and encourage me and all of us to, to see prayer as the most exciting and unbelievable gift. For we have access, we have access, we have access to the Father through Christ, the scripture says, by one spirit. We have access to God through Christ by one spirit, all of us, access, 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 access. And union has taken place. Oh, he came to bring another world and it's in the spirit. The kingdom of heaven is in the spirit. It's another reality. One of the key things to really see, saints, is that the kingdom of heaven is another reality on earth. It's in the spirit. And the scripture says, if, you're, not, if you're, no, you're no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit, Romans 8, if Christ is in you, you've been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You have been moved from one place to another place. I have been moved from one place to another place. Inside of you, inside of us is another world. It is the unbelievable good news of the kingdom has come. What is in that world? It is complete favor from God 24-7. It is a world where sin is not counted against you. It is a world where God himself is your papa, where you call him Abba. It is a world where your performance doesn't add anything to his love for you. It is a world where you have adventures with him. It is a world where he is with you always, even until the end of the world. It is another reality. We have been, this is what Paul saw. He said, we have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son through the work of Christ and by the gift of the spirit. Jesus said, I am the door. He who comes by me shall go in and out and find pasture. I tell you, there's another reality that's opening up in all of us that is unbelievable. It's complete access, complete presence, complete union, complete ear. He sees you. 
He said, Nathaniel, I saw you, Nathaniel, under the fig tree. Something that is so cool is that, you know, under the law, you're always trying to get God to see you. Uh, uh, trying to, or trying to see him. You're trying to always see him, you know. Seek his face, seek his face, seek his face. You realize that the scripture never says seek God in the new covenant? It never says seek God. It never says it. How many times does the old covenant talk about seek God, seek God, seek God? Not a single time do the apostles teach the church to seek God. You know why? Because the prophet said in the old covenant, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. He shall come. Why do you seek for that which you have? What do the apostles say? They say he is within you and you are in him. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The, The words of the apostles were words of union. Union. Not look for God. God came looking for you and me. He came to seek and to save that which was lost and he found it and he did it where I could be in him and he in me. This needs to be on our words, our lips. This is the truth. We speak one to another and encourage each other. Don't forget, brother. Don't forget, sister. He's inside of you. And you are in him. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Behold the riches of the glory of this mystery, the riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The riches of it, not the mystery. The mystery is not Christ in me because I'm not the center of the mystery. I'm not the center of the universe. The mystery is Christ himself, Christ in the center of God. Hidden in the Father was the Son, the Word within the Word, the wheel within the wheel, the Christ hidden in him that was not known, not seen. That is the mystery. That is the truth. That is the awesome thing that was there before anything was made. Christ himself, the Word who made all things and who is all things, who is all in all. But the riches of the glory of that mystery when he came and died for me is that now I am hidden in him and he is hidden in me. That is the riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ. But it is Christ, not Christ in me because there wasn't a me to be the mystery. There wasn't a me created. I'm not the center of things. God is. And God has brought me into the center of himself. And I have died with him. And now my life is hidden with Christ in sight of God. That's awesome. It's a complete circle. He came into our world and took the whole world down with him on the cross. He blotted out all flesh. And then he raised himself from the dead. Father raised him from the dead, bringing a new creation, a new world to all who would believe. We would be placed in him for it is of God. It is of God. It is of God that you've been placed in Christ. And now in this union, we commune, we pray, we go, we hear because he sees us. He sees Greg under the fig tree. He sees Dale. He sees Marsh. He sees Martha. He sees you. He sees us. And he sees us without condemnation. When they were in that storm in the boat and the storm was hitting, the scripture says Jesus went up to a a high mountain to watch them. He was watching them in the storm. 
right there. He was right there, but they couldn't see him. He was teaching them to trust him, trust that he sees, even though they don't see him. He's on the mountain. They're in the storm. He's looking at them. He's watching them. And just when he feels like they can't take it anymore, (laughs) he comes walking on the water to them. He saw them. He saw Nathaniel. He sees me right now. He sees you sitting right there. He sees you sitting right there. Jesus of Nazareth sees you. He saw you get dressed this morning. He saw you eat your breakfast. See, this truth scares us if we don't understand grace because we don't want God to see me all the time. But there is no condemnation because of what he did. I like what Barbara said um, the other day. She said, yeah, you know what? That's so cool because he actually, he heard their conversation when Thomas said in that room, I won't believe unless I see the holes in his hands and his feet. I'm not gonna believe unless I see him. I I just don't believe all this story about him being raised from the dead. He wasn't in the room, visibly. And then a few minutes later, a few seconds later, Jesus comes through the wall. (laughs) Now, here, the disciples have fled him during his toughest hour on earth when he needed human encouragement more than ever. He actually asked them to pray with him. It was one of his hardest times as a man going through this because he knew he was about to receive the judgment for all sin for all mankind for the whole world forever he would become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him it wasn't just the pain of crucifixion it was he knew the cup he was was to drink would be the wrath of God for all evil for all people, for all time, which included a separation, which included a separation from God that we can't really understand. He'd never been away from Papa, never been away from Abba, never been away from Abba from the beginning of time. So he asked his disciples to pray with him. So here here he comes walking through the wall into the room. These guys have left him They now don't believe, at least Thomas, I don't believe it. Unless I see the holes in his hands and his feet, I'm not going to believe it. And there's not even a hint of condemnation when he comes through the walls. They didn't have to open the door. And then he repeats exactly what Thomas said. He heard it. He heard it. He saw it. He heard it. And he said, Reach forth your hands, Thomas. Touch my hands. With no condemnation. And Thomas hit the ground and said, oh God, oh God, my God, my Lord. He sees us, he hears us. Well, just real briefly, I I think the life of Jacob, real quick. um, Jacob and Esau are twins. And I believe what that's a picture of, saints, is that Esau is a picture of the flesh. 
the natural man, and Jacob is a picture of the new man, the, crea- the new creation. And, and that's why they're twins. You know, we talk, we joke about that. My evil twin must have done that. Well, that's where we get that from, from Jacob and Esau. My, my evil twin must have done that. So it's a picture of the two, the old man, the new man. And what happened when God separates the two, of course, first the natural, then the spiritual. Esau is born first, then the spiritual. And then Jacob is, as you know, he's, he's fleeing Esau because Esau is upset with him. And we flee our flesh. We're afraid of our flesh. And we don't know what to do with our flesh. And we're, we're trying to get free of our flesh. And so Jacob goes, and this is what happens. God doesn't give Jacob a bunch of rules to keep. He does the most amazing thing. He foreshadows in Jacob's life what you have now in the new covenant. Because what he, what he did was he said, for, uh, you know, Jacob first falls into a deep sleep and he woke up and he saw a ladder. We call it Jacob's ladder, connecting heaven and earth. I love that song that the worship team sang this morning about heaven and earth have become one. That's Jacob's ladder. He saw Jacob's, he saw this ladder and the, the ladder was in heaven and on earth connecting heaven and earth. He said, this is, this, is, this, this is none other than the door of heaven. This is the house of God. So the first thing the, the new creation must really get, I think, in our hearts and minds is what we've been saying is that another world has come in here. In here. This is the door of heaven. This is the house of God. Know you not, you are the house of God. But it's a revelation Jacob gets. So then the next thing happens in, in Jacob's life is that he, you know, he has the whole deal with his, his uncle, I think, uh, about the cattle and, and so forth. And, and God gives him a dream about how to uh, multiply the cattle, his, his cattle. Because remember, remember they struck the, struck the deal that said, okay, you can have all the spotted cattle and I'll take the cattle that, don't, that doesn't have any spots. And, st- and at the time, there were only a handful of spotted cattle. And so his, uh, I guess, I think it's his uncle. His uncle thought he was really taking advantage of him because he said, all right, you take the spotted cattle, there's only a handful of those. I'll take the rest of the cattle. And Jacob agreed. God gave him a dream and said, if you will take pieces of wood and peel back the bark, where you, where you make it white stripes, peel back the bark where you see the inside of the sticks, if you take those stripes and put them in the water troughs, when the cattle come to drink water, they will see the stripes. And when they see the stripes, they will become what they see. They will become striped as they mate by the water troughs. It's a picture of the believer beholding Christ beholding Christ and beholding who we are in Christ and as we drink of the Spirit and behold who we are in Him and, and mate, so to speak, or commune intimately with God as we are looking at Him and looking at our, our new selves in Him, we will become what we already are manifestly. Manifestly. Because we already are, but it's getting out. 
It's coming out. It's coming forth in the fruit as we behold. So Jacob saw another huge key. First he saw union and open heaven, open door. Then he saw the dynamic of God, which is to look at Christ, not, of our, not at our sin, but to look at Christ. For we look at him, we set our minds on things above, we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we find ourselves becoming who we are as we see who we are, created in him, in his likeness, by the power of the Spirit in this new creation. And then the third thing Jacob saw was when he came back around to see Esau and he, one more time, he's going back to see Esau now. He's still worried about Esau, still worried about the flesh. And this time you notice, remember this, the, the scene where Jacob wrestles with the angel all night? This, what this is, saints, is so cool. This is almost like the most important thing the new creation must learn. This is what we take years to get. But here he is and he's holding on to the angel of the Lord, which is a picture of holding on to God. He's holding on to God. He's holding on to God. How many prayer meetings have we been to that, that the, the overall feeling of it was we're, we're, we're storming heaven, we're trying to get in heaven, we're holding on to God, we're, 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 we're trying to get blessed. He's holding on to God and he says, I'm not gonna let you go unless you bless me. To begin with, he was already blessed. God had already blessed Jacob in the scripture when he first left Esau, he blessed him. So now he's asking God to do something he's already done. Secondly, he's holding on to God like it's all up to him. And what the angel does, this wrestling, this wrestling with our weaknesses, our flesh, this wrestling that we all go through in our desires to be who we know we really are deep down, this wrestling to count for something in life, to be significant, this wrestling to be, to fulfill our destiny, this wrestling, what does God do? He touches his thigh, the strongest part on a man's body. He touches his thigh, cripples him, cripples him to make him let go, to let go. Now, God will have to hold Jacob. He walked with the staff the scripture says he walked with a staff for the rest of his life. God was teaching him and all of us to live by him and know that he holds you. He holds me. Scripture says in Hebrews that Jacob blessed his sons leaning on his staff. He never forgot. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But through him, we can do all things. So this revelation of, of Jacob's life, how does it fit into prayer under grace? It's everything. Because we pray when we realize we need him. We pray Rightly, when we know how to look at him and not ourselves. 
We pray spontaneously when we know we have an open heaven and that we're in union with him. You know, there's, just in closing, there's the, uh, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that has been, you know, memorized for centuries. And um, let me say a few words about the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. And that was, the Lord gave that prayer to the disciples in the context of, he said just before that prayer, he said, don't be like the Pharisees who think with much speaking they are heard of God, that they, with all their speaking, that God hears you if you, if you pray more and, and use more words. So when he gave that prayer, he gave a very simple, a few words, and he hit the, the big points. That was one of the main reasons he gave that prayer. And he talked at the first about who the Father was and the heart of, of God, his kingdom come, his world come, his reality come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he talked about how he provides our daily food and how he forgives our sins and how he protects us from evil, the three biggies, natural food and sustenance and forgiveness of sins and then protecting us from evil. And then he ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for all is yours. And he said that prayer, it's, it's, it's got to be a morning prayer or else whoever prayed that prayer is not going to have any food to eat until the end of the day, right? Because it says, <laughs> give us this day our daily bread. So it's, it's, it's meant to be a simple prayer, not a lot of words like the Pharisees, and to be done in the morning. He also says, forgive us our sins. Like, just keep in mind now, the sacrifice has, had not been offered yet. Even when Jesus would heal the sick, he would say, take a sacrifice to the priest according to the law of Moses. Because right for now, that's the covenant. He said, do as the Pharisees say, but don't do as they do, for they sit in Moses' seat. So there was a, a covenant that was in place where they still went to the temple, they still had sacrifices of lambs and goats. Jesus, Jesus would go with his family, Passover and bring the lamb. So all those things were going on because the final sacrifice had not yet been given. In fact, the new covenant did not begin until the, the death of Jesus himself and the, the veil of the temple was rent, indicating that covenant is done. No more sacrifices. The one sacrifice has been offered forever. And the new covenant began at his death. But don't get hung up on the Lord's Prayer with, you know, with this forgiveness of sin stuff because it's a general statement. He goes, you know, forgive us our sins in the morning. He says, forgive us our sins. And there's no, there's no, you don't see in that a teaching that we hear in the church today that you need to confess every sin you commit in order to get forgiveness. You don't see that. You see a general, Lord, forgive us our sins. Lord, give us our daily bread. Lord, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. People get, they stumble on that and they should not stumble on that. In fact, you don't even hear that Lord's prayer again, ever mentioned again by the apostles or in the letters of the apostles or in the book of Acts ever again. Not that that's a bad prayer, but it's just not saying everything that now can be said. Because now we don't we know now, we've, we've already gone through this, but 
we, we know now 1 John 1, 9 is a, message, is a scripture to the unbeliever who needs to realize he needs a savior and he needs to confess his sins and ask forgiveness so God can cleanse him from all unrighteousness and, and so forth. So now with prayer under grace, we thank God for forgiveness when we sin. Now when we sin as a believer, we go boldly to a throne of, gra- to a throne of grace and we thank him. We're th- genuinely thankful that he's not counting our sins against us anymore. There's no keeping records. There's no slate that he has to erase every time you name some sin. There's no slate. Paul says he took the slate out of the way. He didn't just erase the slate. Paul says he took the slate out of the way. So, His heart is to be with us. He's opened the door wide open. Revelation says, I have shut the door that no man can open. I have opened the door that no man can shut. He stands at the door and knocks. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in to him. And I will sit down and eat with him. Because he did it all. He removed the very thing that would separate us from him. Just in closing, I just wanted to, if I could say in my heart of hearts what he is saying, trying to say through this, this vessel, this weak vessel, is I not only want to be with you, I am with you and you are with me, always. I am in you, and you are in me. I've done it. If it were not so, I would have told you. Come, come, be with me, talk to me, anytime. Hear me talk to you, anytime. I am your anchor. I am your anchor. I hold you, Jacob. You don't hold me. Relax. Fear not. I have you. I have you. In my Father's hands, and no man, no thing, no power can pluck you out. I have you. I see no spot, I see no wrinkle. Run with me. This is what I did it for, to be with you. Lord, we just thank you for this. Thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that every single person here would be encouraged by your words. Pray that as we leave today that we will know that you are really with us always and we with you. 
Lord, thank you that you have made prayer under grace an awesome, awesome thing. For you are the portal to another reality. You are the portal, the door to the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice, for another world has come. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon the Christ to open the eyes of the blind, to mend the broken hearts, to release the captives, to announce a new world has come. My Father's world, full of grace, and favor and hope. We stand in this grace by faith with hope, unshakable because of Christ. Lord, right now I pray a blessing on all of us in your name, I pray that such an entrance will be ministered to my brothers and my sisters and myself into an awareness, such an entrance ministered to us of the awareness of the kingdom of heaven that is now within us. And I pray that minds would be renewed to a new way of seeing things, things that are unseen, for we look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. A new way of thinking, a new way of talking as we speak the truth one to another. I pray, Father, that there would be such an explosion within us of joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory of this new world you have brought to us. For the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think as they see with their eyes, for it shall be within you.